BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min Football family with me, your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's victory over Brighton and Hove Albion. I think I'm right in saying that I predicted a 2-0 win on the preview show. Let me know in the comments if I'm wrong. I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to it, but I'm pretty sure I said that this was going to finish 2-0 to the Arsenal. So, it's another correct prediction. So, uh, yeah, for all your betting tips, follow at Harry Simeon. I'm joking. I'm just kidding. I um, hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you've all had a great weekend. Of course, it is uh, Champions League draw day today. And don't worry, we will be covering that a little bit later on in the day. We'll be bringing you uh, this week's episode of The Debrief. And it is going to be a Champions League draw special. Uh, so on that episode, we're going to talk about all the big stories, of course, from the Premier League and beyond. But we'll also be reacting in depth to that UEFA Champions League draw. It'll give me a bit of time to process it. It'll give me a bit of time uh, to have a look into whoever our opponent is. And that way we'll be able to bring you a much more informed conversation and discussion around it. Although with the Champions League draw, it is quite difficult, isn't it? Because you're going to find out who you get, but you're not going to play them until February. And obviously we're kind of in mid-December at the moment. So there's still a long way to go. Things can change quite a bit. Um, over that period of time. But I'll bring you some initial reaction and get your thoughts, of course, on that episode, which will be coming to you early evening UK time. But for now, our focus is on Arsenal 2, Brighton and Hove, Albion nil. And I want to start off by throwing this question out there. Was that Arsenal's best performance of the season? I think you can say that it probably was. I think Arsenal were brilliant in every single way yesterday. You know, with the exception of the Pascal Gross chance that Brighton had when it was 1-0, I don't remember them seriously threatening us at any other point. Now, this was a side that had scored um, in their last, what, 30-odd consecutive Premier League games. I read that it was 20-something, and then somebody else told me that it was 30. So I'd have to check that statistic. But whatever that is, whatever the correct answer is to that, they're a side that score pretty much every time they take to the field. They're a side that have won their last three trips prior to yesterday to Emirates Stadium. So we had every right to be concerned, every right to be worried, and every right, I think, to look at this as a bit of a test. Now, obviously, you could argue that Brighton had played in midweek, and obviously they did make some changes to that side, but they had to play a lot more of their big boys on Thursday than we did when we played on Tuesday out in PSV Eindhoven. But 
No doubt about it. Brighton are a test for anyone. They play brilliant football. And Roberto De Zerbi's comments, I thought, after the game, summed up just how good Arsenal were. He said that Arsenal made us suffer. We're not used to this. We're used to controlling games. We're used to dictating the tempo, the pace. It just wasn't the case yesterday. Brighton could not get a foothold in the game. And if if somebody had watched that game with the scoreboard blurred out um, and, and was kind of dipping in and out of the game, you know, forget that the fact that the ball only went in the back of the net twice. In terms of the balance of play, in terms of the opportunities the Arsenal created, you know, if someone had told you that Arsenal won that by four or five goals, I don't think anybody would have argued with you because that's how dominant Arsenal were. Okay, possession, I thought in the second half, Arsenal gave up a little bit of that um, at times, particularly in the latter stages of the game when it was still 1-0. Arsenal were playing very much on the counter-attack. But again, it shows that Arsenal can adapt, that Arsenal can adjust um, given the game state. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really, really mature performance in that sense. But I also thought that we were close to our brilliant best. We were just missing the finishing touch inside the penalty area, but the build-up was unreal. Some of the individual performances were unreal and we're going to get into a few of those, of course, a little bit later on in the show. But ahead of kickoff, uh, there was tribute paid uh, inside the stadium and, of course, in the match day programme uh, to former Arsenal commentator, um, former TalkSport commentator, TalkSport presenter, um, a, a big presence in the rugby space as well, Russell Hargreaves, who sadly passed away recently. And it was... Um, it was really nice to see the club pay tribute the way they did up in the gantry. Uh, there was a plaque um, installed for him uh, and there was a, a bunch of flowers left uh, on the desk where he would normally uh, be working as well. Um, look, I know a lot of people that knew Russ really, really well and are still pretty cut up about this um, this news and I'm sure they will be um, for a period of time to come. I can't sit here and say that I knew him really, really well. I'd be lying if I said that. Um, but our paths did cross on five or six occasions when it comes to work, whether that be at Arsenal, whether that be at TalkSport. And what I will say is, you know, always the most positive guy in the room, always the happiest guy in the room, always the most helpful. And he kind of had this warmth that even if you didn't really know him, you could feel the minute you had a conversation with him. So um, just want to send my condolences and best wishes, of course, to uh, Russell Hargreaves' family. And I'm delighted that the club um, look, they were always going to because it's a class club. That's that's just how it works. But um, I'm delighted that they paid tribute in the way that they did and that all the fans got to to say their bit as well because he's been the voice of Arsenal for a long, long time, um, Russell Hargreaves. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was um, uh, a sad moment um, when I found out the news. And obviously, it's, it's, it, uh, it gets you when you, you see the tribute paid, but you wouldn't have it any other way, you know, in terms of how Arsenal handled it. Um, and uh, yeah, class club uh, paying tribute to a very, very good broadcaster and a top class man as well. Okay, let's um, let's dive into um, some of the kind of nuances of the game. Then um, I said it was our best performance of the season, and I, I guess I got to explain why. I thought the tempo of our passing was incredible. I thought the zip with which we played was brilliant. I thought the purpose we showed and the kind of aggression not just physically because I think at times we were up against the kind of uh, a bit of a response with that you know James Milner for example was smashing into Bukayo Saka at every given opportunity um, and of course um, you know he gets away with three or four bad challenges as did Karu Mitoma before they would go in the book which was a real frustration of mine yesterday 
But in terms of the performance, when I talk about aggression, I'm not just talking about the physical side of the game. I'm talking about every time Arsenal get a throw in, they want to take it quickly. Every time Arsenal get a uh, free kick, they want to take it quickly. Um, a couple of times that went wrong. Uh, Zinchenko took a quick free kick, didn't he? He played it right to Ben White, who wasn't on the same page as him, ended up having to sprint back and had to commit a foul, which saw him go into the referee's book. The point I'm trying to make is that Arsenal knew that in order to break this Brighton and Hove Albion side down, they couldn't afford for the game to get to kind of stop-start. They needed it to flow. They needed it to be fluid. They needed the pressure on them to be relentless. And, you know, at half-time, we went in at the break and there were a few chances for sure that Arsenal should have converted, that they should have taken. There was a couple of balls played across the six-yard box, one that Gabby Jesus couldn't turn in, one that Kai Havertz couldn't turn in. Uh, Martin Odegaard had a shot. Uh, that was just wide of the far post. Bukayo Saka put a couple of efforts over the top of the crossbar. Martinelli uh, had a moment as well after what was probably the best pass I've seen all season from Martin Odegaard. He played this pass with the outside of his boot. I'm sure you've all seen it. It was worth watching match of the day for alone. And just the, the way he plays it, A, with the outside of the boot, B, with the spin on it, the backspin that means that because it's quite a small area he's got to land it in between where Bukayo Saka can reach it and where the goalkeeper would become favourite. It needs to have that backspin so that when it reaches there, it doesn't progress too far forward. And it was just a sublime ball. The angle of it, the technique, the backspin, as I say, all brilliant. Saka gets on the end of it, cuts it back to Martinelli, who, to be fair, was under some pressure from the defender, but unfortunately he couldn't keep the effort down. And, um, and we ended up... Uh, really really frustrated by that but we went in at the break apologies if you can hear the air cons kicked in um someone else in the building i'm in the night i'm in studio at the moment it's just that uh, knock that on so apologies if it's coming through to you guys hopefully it's not too bad um but yeah i mean just you go in at the break and you're like well we've played amazingly well but we're not winning and then that kind of complex that i think we've developed over the years when it comes to brighton and hove albion starts to kick in it, it starts to play on your mind. You start to think, well, maybe it's not going to be our day. You know, this is a team that have in the past punished us when it's not been our day, that have made sure um, to, to make us pay in those types of situations that have always scored at Emirates Stadium. There was a bit of that in my mind at the break um, when I popped inside to get a cup of tea. But when I come back out, I thought, no, you know what? We've been really, really good. And if we play the way we played in the first half in the second, there's no doubt that we will eventually find the breakthrough. And Arsenal pushed and pushed and pushed. And I actually thought started the second half really, really well. Um, probably a little bit more lively than we did the first half in terms of how frequently we were getting Bukayo Saka in, in behind James Milner. That was a real problem for Brighton. And I'm surprised um, that Roberto De Zerbi went with that. I guess he probably felt like his options were limited. I guess he probably felt that someone of James Milner's experience would be well-equipped to handle... Uh, the threat that Bukayo Saka brings. But once James Milner, um, you know, gets to the kind of latter stages of the game, you you, you kind of just know um, that it's going to fall apart for him in that sense. You know that he's going to struggle. Um, he didn't get a booking, uh, surprisingly. Uh, but Roberto De Zerbi, I think, probably was thinking about this before Arsenal actually broke the deadlock. Because, of course, the deadlock was broken on 53 minutes. Seven minutes after that, James Milner was taken off. Um, and replaced uh, by Igor, um, Igor Julio, who came on um, as a defender at left back. And, and that maybe steadied the ship a bit for Brighton in that particular position. But then we just started having joy in other areas. 
and we caused them all sorts of problems. The opening goal, um, I'm not going to say it was a fortunate goal because we forced the corner. Um, we ought to have scored from the move um, that led to the goal. If I'm not mistaken, it was the one where there was a cutback to Martin Odegaard and he just he just tried to take a touch. He just tried to overdo it. Um, and he ended up being dispossessed. The ball went out behind for a corner. In comes the corner. And um, when the delivery came in, it was, uh, I think it was Van Heck, um, who had been pretty good, to be fair to him, at centre-back. He just sort of on the stretch, around about the near post, tried to get something on it, tried to head it clear. And he ended up inadvertently flicking it onto the far post. And there was Gabriel Jesus, the man who doesn't score poacher's goals, waiting to poach at the far post. And once the deadlock was broken, you felt a lot more confident because, you know, you knew that Brighton were going to come at us. You knew that Brighton were then going to have to change their game plan. That's not to say that they were deliberately negative prior to that. I said in the preview show that I thought they'd adapt their approach slightly. Roberto De Zerbi does do that. He is that type of manager that, yeah, he has a philosophy. Yeah, he has a style. He has an overarching way that he wants his team to play. But he's also quite happy to adjust the tweak as and when is necessary. Um, so they were a little bit more defensive than they'd normally be. But you knew at the point that we scored that Roberto De Zerbi was not the type of manager that would go, OK, let's stay as we are. Let's sit tight. Let's keep it um, a closed shop. And hopefully, um, you know, we can nick something in the last 10 minutes. Maybe we'll take a few more risks then. You knew straight away that they were going to change it up, that they were going to um, they were going to shift it um, and they were going to play in a slightly different way, um, which they did. Um you know, they, they came after us a little bit more. They started to have a lot more possession at that point. I was watching the kind of possession stat bar just kind of creeping the other way. Um, but Arsenal then became a real big threat on the break. Um, you know, some of the play, man, I mean, Jesus involved, dropping deep, Havertz involved, um, Rice carrying the ball into big spaces. Declan Rice had a chance as well, didn't he? Where he drove forward and went on the outside of the defender and struck it back across the goal. Um for uh, Verbruggen to save. There was there was a lot of moments where Arsenal looked like they were going to get the second on the break. But then when you get to kind of like 81, 82 minutes, you start to think, OK, maybe we're not going to get the second. Now it's about digging in and making sure that we don't give anything cheap um, away at the other end. And Arsenal sunk that little bit deeper, I thought. Still, as I say, carried that threat on the break, but were having to be just a little bit more streetwise and a little bit more careful with the spaces and risks that they were taking. And then the second goal comes and the reaction to the second goal was a really big one because I think it was a mixture, a culmination of a number of things. A, relief because, um, you know, this was a game that we were quite concerned about given our history with Brighton. B, delight for the man who scored it, Kai Havertz, King Kai, who scores again. We'll talk about him in a little bit um, more specifically and because, you know, it was a goal that meant we were going back to the top of the league. And what that goal meant was that in going back to the top of the league, we pushed all the pressure um, over to Liverpool. And listen, I expected Liverpool to beat Manchester United at home yesterday. They didn't. Happy days for us. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight on the debrief. But I just think, like, there was a thing in my mind, like, going into the weekend where it was like, OK, I expect Liverpool to win. I expect Man City to win. So there's no margin for error for us. We've got a trip to Anfield next week, which is going to be incredibly difficult, I'm sure. There's no margin for error for Arsenal this weekend. 
And then Man City go and drop points the way that they did against Crystal Palace. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And you think, hold on a minute. Not only was this a game where there was no margin for error, this is actually now a really big opportunity to gain another couple of points over Manchester City, who have arrived in Saudi Arabia, by the way, because their Club World Cup campaign kicks off. Now, yes, we've got some tough games to come and the Christmas period is always difficult and it's going to be busy and it's going to be hard and it's going to be a slog. It always is. But there's an opportunity for us to open up a lead over City that they're then going to have to try and wrestle back in the second part of the season. So you want to take these opportunities. You know, I also think when you look at the games that we've played, the bigger games that we've played this season, a lot of them have been at home so far. Um, of course, we've got Anfield, we've been to Newcastle, we've been to Chelsea, if you still class that as a big game. But we still got to go to Spurs. we still got to go to Man United. Um, we're still going to have to go to Man City, um, you know, just to name a few. So you you want to make sure that you take advantage of these games at home, regardless of the opponent, home games. you got to win as many of them as you possibly can if you want to stand a chance of being there or thereabouts come the end of the campaign. So, yeah, it was a, an outpouring of delight, relief, um, joy for Kai Havertz and all the rest of it. And yeah, I thought it was what that performance deserved. And the way the goal came about, the sweeping counter-attack, the brilliant move. There were moments from Jesus on the break where he'd spin people on the halfway line. There were moments involving Odegaard and Ketia was involved in the build-up for the second goal. And once Kai Havertz went through on goal, you actually felt confident that he was going to score. And that is in stark contrast to maybe what you would have felt five or six weeks ago. It shows you how much he's come on. Um, in the last few weeks, of course. I do want to talk about some individual performances. Um, I want to talk about um, Kai Havertz. Let's start with Kai Havertz because I actually didn't think that this was Kai Havertz's best game over the course of the last month and a half. Yeah, He's Arsenal's player of the month for November, but I think he's carried that form well into December as well. I don't think this was his best all-round performance in that at times the game seemed to bypass him just a little bit. Um but I did think he was involved enough in terms of the defensive side, pinching the ball back, poking uh, balls away from people, using his long reach to kind of get involved in things, using his frame, giving us a bit of an outlet. And what I thought was really, really interesting, and we've seen it happen before, but what I thought we did more regularly than we normally do, particularly in the latter stages of the game yesterday when we were 1-0 up and we wanted to slightly change our game, was Gabriel Jesus would drop back into the midfield and Kai Havertz would push on beyond him so that when the ball did go back to Raya or any of the centre-halves, full-backs, whatever, there was that option just to go that little bit more direct. And you you would back Kai Havertz, wouldn't you, given his physical presence and stature, to win more of those aerial duels than Gabriel Jesus would. Jesus is great at it. He makes a right nuisance of himself. But Kai Havertz's height gives you that option. And that's another part of the reason why I think Mikel Arteta was so keen on bringing him in and utilising him in this position. And listen, I've been saying for a long time that when Thomas Partey returns, 
he comes back into the midfield for me. And Kai Havertz would have probably been the one to miss out. But that's becoming an increasingly more difficult decision for Mikel Arteta to take when that time comes because of how well he's playing. Gives us another option, gives us another way of playing, um, gives us someone that could play the role that Declan Rice does in a different way, but in a good way because we've seen Thomas Partey do it over the last couple of years to great effect. But yeah, it's just, it's just really, really interesting, the dynamic. You think about where we are. We're top of the league, coming up to the halfway point. That might not be the case come the weekend when we go away to Liverpool. I appreciate that and understand that. But we've got Tommy Asu out. We've had Timber out all season. Partey's missed most of the season. We've been without Jesus for periods. We've been without Martinelli. We've been without Saka. Um, you know, we've had all this stuff going on with the goalkeepers. We've had all these issues, yet look at where we are. We're going into the latter stages of the Champions League and we're in a great position in the league. So there's not really anything to complain about. You know, there really isn't. People had said over the last few months that maybe we're not as exciting as we were last season, that maybe Arsenal have changed. Uh, Mikel Arteta addressed that, didn't he, in his recent press conference. But at the end of the day, if we've changed for the better, then I'm all for that. It feels like we've become a little bit more streetwise, a little bit smarter in the way we go about things. But we showed yesterday that we can produce that swashbuckling, beautiful on the eye football when we need to and when we want to. And, you know, lo and behold, yesterday was, as I say, probably one of our best performances of the season. I do want to touch on a couple of other uh, players' performances on an individual level, but I'm going to ask you now, if you've got any questions on yesterday's game, chuck them in uh, to the chat box and I'll pick up a few of those before we go. If they're Champions League related, save them because we'll do them uh, later on on the debrief. This is one of two episodes coming your way today. I also want to talk about Declan Rice because I thought he was, again, uh, magnificent. You know, the way he can carry the ball, the way he eats up the ground in front of him, the way he comes and wins duels um, just with all his power and all his might. He's such a physical presence. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, and he's just added something completely different to our midfield. He's added a bite and a crunch that maybe Thomas Partey can't pr produce anymore because of the fitness issues and maybe the fact that maybe his body's just letting him down. Uh, a little bit, but another superb performance from Rice. He got the Man of the Match um, award, which I think, you know, it's just it's just becoming a common thing, isn't it? It's like every week, oh, Rice will probably be Man of the Match. That's how good he is. That's the levels that he's performed at. And I, West Ham fans probably won't want to hear this and, and probably won't like this, but I genuinely do believe. Is it because he's got better players around him? I don't know. Is it because he's got a manager that's taken the shackles off of him a little bit and given him a bit more license and a bit more freedom? I don't know. Is it because he plays for a team now that plays much more front foot football than West Ham did during his days there under David Moyes, generally speaking? Probably, you know, those things play a part, but I just think he's gone up to another level tactically. You know, he's just so sophisticated in his game. And yeah, what a player. What a player. I want to give a shout out to Martin Odegaard as well. Um, didn't score yesterday. Should have scored yesterday. No doubt about that. He's not having the greatest time in front of goal at the moment, Martin Odegaard which is strange because if you look at how many goals he's got this season, it's by no means disastrous for a midfield player, particularly one who's missed as many games as he has. But it just felt like yesterday his all-round game was excellent, but he was almost snatching at chances. He was almost overthinking um, in others. And it was, you know, he's either snatching at it or he's overthinking. He, he struggled to find that balance that you require, I think, to be an effective finisher. And, um, you know, it was his birthday, as as we mentioned. And I think because it was his birthday, uh, he was desperate to make an impression. He was desperate um, to show something. He was desperate to uh, 
um, you know, he was desperate to get on the score sheet and mark that occasion. But yeah, he, he really ought to have scored yesterday and his performance, I think, was great up to kind of like 90%. And then when you got to that last 10% where you needed him to convert or make the right decision, it wasn't always there. There were a couple of situations where he got it on the edge of the box and you could see that it was tunnel vision. There was no, um, I'm not going to say awareness because Martin Odegaard's vision is so good. You always back him to have that awareness, but there was no intention of using a teammate or anything like that. It was, how can I make space and how can I get the shot off? as quickly as possible. So not a bad performance from Odegaard. I thought it was a good one, generally speaking, but it was just missing that final bit. Martin um, Odegaard on the day and Mikel Arteta, I think, went out of his way, didn't he, after the game to kind of say, well, look, I thought his performance was really, really good. Want to keep the confidence high. Uh, he's a key player and uh, and all the rest of it. Um, I mentioned Kai Havertz, so I'm not going to go over that again. Um, you know, I thought he was involved. I thought... Um, not as much as in recent weeks, but, you know, he made that vital contribution. That's five goals now for Kai Havertz uh, since joining Arsenal, four in the league, one in the Champions League. Can't really knock it, can you? Um, he's a player that needed a bit of time. And I think time and time again, Mikel Arteta has proven right when he makes these kind of decisions. Yes, he's made some signings that you look at and you question a little bit. You know, the jury's out on Fabio Vieira, for example. You look at some of the others. Um, you know, before that, Nuno Tavares, uh, Runar Runison, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and you think, yeah, you know, not not ideal. But generally speaking, I think the big ones he's got them right, and I think we need to learn as a fan base at times now to just go, that's your decision. We're going to stick with it. We're going to go with it, and um, and and get behind the player, support him. As for David Rye, I wanted to touch on his performance just briefly. Um, he didn't have much to do. And I think it's incredibly difficult as a goalkeeper when you're not involved in the game much to then switch on in the big moments. He did have a couple of scary moments. There was a cross in the first half um, that he seemed to catch and then drop, but luckily no one was behind him and he was able to deal with that and, and get it clear um, in the end uh, or clear the danger at least. But yeah, I mean, his passing was better yesterday. And I think that's the thing that makes him stand out from Aaron Ramsdale, at least in Mikel Arteta's eyes. I have to say, I'm not 100% sure about him yet. The jury's still out for me. But if you're trying to identify what it is that Arteta sees in him that he maybe doesn't see in Ramsdale, it's probably that. And there were some really good passes, I thought, through the lines into the midfield uh, at points yesterday. The more direct ball up to Kai Havertz when he was pushed into that, um, into that more advanced position uh, as well. So, yeah. Um, lots to be positive about. Back top of the league, obviously Liverpool held by Man United, which helped in that. And a big trip to Anfield to come, of course, um, next weekend as well. And it's going to be a tough game. But based on yesterday's evidence, you know, you've got to fancy your chances of going there and getting something at least. Um, let's take a couple of your questions before uh, we sign out. Lots coming through. Lots of um, you in the chat with me at the moment. Um, amazing to see loads of you joining me on this Monday morning. If you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help. And of course, subscribe to the channel uh, if you haven't done so already. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 300 likes on the board, given how many of you are watching at the moment. So please uh, leave a like, subscribe, all the rest of it. If you're listening on audio as well, please do uh, leave us a review. That really, really does help. Okay, let's take a couple of these questions. Um, and uh, of course, we'll have more time later when we react to the Champions League draw and um, on that more broader 
show, we'll be able to, to dive into your questions in a little bit more detail. But let's take this one from Wes, who says, my main concern in regards to Arsenal's play at the moment is the amount of chances we create but don't convert. And I think that's something that needs to be improved going forward. Your thoughts, Harry? Um, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think Mikel Arteta knows that as well. I think he agrees with that assessment of his team. Um, he was asked the question in his radio interview, you know, is it a concern? And he said, yeah, of course, um, because you won't get that many chances every single week. So you have to have a much higher conversion rate. You have to be more clinical, generally speaking, in those situations. And hopefully Arsenal will be that on another day. They certainly weren't at Aston Villa. They certainly weren't yesterday. But it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because a few weeks ago, we'd have been saying we're not creating enough chances. Now we're creating them again and we're moaning about not converting them. You know, you want it all to click, but it, it's not always going to click every single week. So I'm going to um, kind of chill out a little bit on that. But you're right to raise it because it's certainly something that when the dust settles and the happiness of winning the game and going back to the top of the league kind of subsides and the guys are back in training or recovery today, I'm sure that'll be one of the first things that um, that, that Mikel Arteta highlights. Um, Delisu says, any chance Tommy Asu will be ready for Liverpool? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. In fact, I'm pretty certain that he won't be available against Liverpool. There is a little glimmer of hope, from what I'm told, about Thomas Partey. But even if he's fit enough to come back into the squad, you don't throw him into the starting lineup at, at Anfield, surely. Um, surely. So, um, yeah, a little bit of hope around Thomas Partey. None at the moment with regards to Tommy Asu, based on what I know anyway. Um, let's take a couple more. Uh, big hello to Mohammed as well. Hope you're good, mate. Hope your family's well. Hope everyone um, is doing okay. He says, uh, we should all support Harry. Thank you so much, mate. Um, he says, hope to talk to you soon. Hopefully, we'll get a phone-in show uh, in soon. We've got Sodilius joining us from Cyprus. Wish I was there right now, um, rather than having to wear big jackets and walk through the rain uh, in London. Uh, Afsar says, um, would you settle for a point at Liverpool? We've not won this since 2012. I would, yeah. And that's why I don't really understand the mocking of Manchester United, who were quite happy with the point yesterday. If Arsenal, who are in a much better place, would take it, then why wouldn't they? So, yeah, um, I, I would take the point now. I'd sign for it today. Happy days. We made up or we gained a couple of points on them yesterday because of the way things panned out. Um, and so if we were to draw and keep them at arm's length for another week with Manchester City away at the Club World Cup, I'm, I'm fine with that. I am. Um, Graham says a win at Liverpool would be the massive confidence boost we need to then go on and win the Premier League. No excuses. Do it. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. And Delisu, just to wrap up, says when it all clicks, someone's going to get a cricket score. Certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Guys, uh, thank you so much. I'm going to leave it there. Remember, we'll be back later on today with uh, this week's episode of The Debrief, which will be a Champions League draw special. We'll home in on who Arsenal's opponents are. We'll look at the rest of the draw as well. And, um, and we'll also round up some of the big stories from the Premier League and talk a little bit more Arsenal, of course, because at the end of the day, it is an Arsenal podcast. Thank you so much. Leave a like on the way out. Subscribe if you're new and I'll catch you all soon. Until next time. Goodbye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.